for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is July 11th. 2023. Today's episode is 309. I'm your host, Aaron Blasey, and with me, as always, David Riley. What's going on, man? Not much, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm so excited to listen to this podcast today because are you? We, re- yeah, dude, I am. <laughs> I, dude, because when we recorded it, dude, it was afterwards we talked about it, and it was like, yeah, it, it gets you fired up for you know summer scouting season coming ahead and the fact that you know we're probably gonna have the guest on again maybe do something in person with them yeah i'm i'm fired up for today's podcast. well well okay we are gonna have mine again it's already in the books so there's just so much more information to be had with this guest um you know we've done a lot of episodes in 2023 already okay a lot where does this one rank for you? Now you got to remember, back in the early, you know, part of of the year, we did the one giant mistake ones, which were really fun to record and went over really well. But like for you, is it top five, top ten, top two? You know, where does it rank? Well, I see. I can't. I can't put the one giant mistake. Uh, podcast in the same category because these are those are two those are like apples right. and yep. oranges in my opinion right but uh you know if, if we took those aside and we're just we're just talking you know big white tails tactics um yeah it's it's right there it's top five no doubt um i've said it before there's something special about uh being from michigan myself along with you that when we talk to guys from Michigan that have got it done on a very high level, not only in state, but are traveling out of state and still consistently getting it done. It's, it's not that they're any different than anyone else, but it's, it's super relatable. So we can kind of, you know, pull those, you know, questions and answers out of them about comparing, you know, like when you first started hunting in Michigan, then when you first started hunting out of state and what's it taken to be successful in Michigan on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, we've, you know, I don't want to leave anyone out, but it, you know, this year we've talked to Andy May, uh, Jared or Doty, now Paul Ramft on today's podcast where it's like, these are all Michigan guys and they've been doing this for not just, a couple of years like they've been doing this yeah. for decades they've been successful for decades well before podcasts well before yep. hunting on youtube well before it was kind of the cool thing to do where it's like i i respect the hell out of these guys i truly yeah. do 
No, I agree. And you, you know, you and I talk about it a lot and I don't know if I express it much on the podcast, but the thing that, that intrigues me and gets me the most excited about podcasting is the guys that do things on a high level that you've never heard of the, the, the guys that live in these, you know, areas that you might hear through the grapevine from, you know, two or three different dudes. It's like this guy, he knows it, you know, and he, you know, he may have social media, but he's just not like, he doesn't ever post on it. He doesn't talk about it. He's never been on any podcast. He's like in today's that like today yeah. is that guy. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, we just had Jared Aridoti on last week, which was awesome. Jared is one of the goats, man. He really is when it comes to, uh, you know, just getting on mature deer, killing mature deer. And he's J- more people know Jared. Not a lot of people know him, but more people know him than I think than Paul Ranf today. So we, our guest today, his name is Paul Ranf. He's, he's from Southern Michigan. Um, he's, <laughs> I was so geeked with this and I had, we had to not cut the episode off, but we had to, cause we were kind of crushed on time, but that's why we're doing a couple more episodes after this. But Paul, just for speaking, let's throw this out here. I wrote some things down. Couple Paul, numbers. Uh, yeah, a couple numbers. Paul has killed nine bucks over 170 inches. Okay. He, has he killed two or one over 200? I, I he said the two. the one's 216. So I think. And he's... then the one's nine, 190. Mm-hmm. And it j- was just, I think it was just shy of the world record typical at the time yep. or something like that. And then this is the staggering number. Okay. He's killed, from what he can remember, 52 bucks over 125 inches with a bow. All bow. Life. All bow. A lot, a lot from Michigan, a lot from other states as well. But this dude, he's, gosh, it just gets me so excited to talk about it because talking to these guys is what, like, these, I, I think the reason why is because, like, now you hear about all this information, but it came from someone. It came from a group. And those are the Jared Aradotis and the Paul Ramps that came from those guys. Mm-hmm. But then you have a couple guys like a Dan Infall or like, you know, other guys. I'm just going to say Dan right now. But guys like that, like kind of like slip through the cracks that are like now in the limelight, now in, in the public eye. I like, not that I don't like Infault, but it's just like, who else is out there that nobody knows about? Yeah. I want to dig those guys up. And yeah. boy, I'm glad we did because... So I, w- I was watching a video, a video that Jared Aridoti did back in like 2002, okay? Mm-hmm. And Paul, I've never heard of Paul's name before this. Paul was on the video, and he comes on there, and he's like just like spitting knowledge. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I immediately texted you and said, do you know Paul Ranf? And then you knew of him because you watched these DVDs way back when. And I'm like got to get a hold of him now. So then start backtracking people that may know him and finally like bird dogged him down, you know, and I'm like, Oh God, let's do this. So I was, I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little intimidated coming into this, this interview. Like I, I honestly, those guys that do it in silence are royalty to me. You know, I don't get starstruck by like a guy that might be in the limelight. Like I do the guys that are like, 
the the pay, I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I like I think about this because he showed us a couple of the rooms in his house. Oh god. And you know you don't you don't see rooms like that here in Michigan at people's houses where can you imagine this like if you were like us, you know, pretty serious about deer hunting and and serious about, you know, hunting specific big bucks. Can you imagine let's say if like his house was up for sale and you wanted to just go look at it and you walked in and you'd be like, who in the hell is this? <laughs> like, I should become a realtor just to get more guests like that. Yeah. You like, know? <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, you've killed a lot of big deer when you have deer mounts, like at carpet level, like that's oh, where your wall, when you got I them mean, at carpet level that you got yeah, a lot of animals, <laughs> you got a lot of animals, man. And it's just like, to think like there's guys like that out there especially here in our home state of michigan like we always talk about it's just it's freaking awesome dude and i i loved it and i and you know i see ourselves kind of going down a rabbit hole with some guests here and i'm i'm pretty freaking excited about it yeah for sure. This one is, you know, scratching the surface. We get into the weeds on some things and some really cool, like there's some, there's some nuances in this when Paul's like, I haven't shared, he made the comment. He's like, I haven't shared this with a lot of people. And I'm like, Oh God, here we go. What are we going to, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and he's throwing some things out there. I'm like, I've never heard of that before. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to pencil that in. <laughs> you yep. know? So just, just doing something a little different. And you hear that mm-hmm. a lot, you know, you hear that a lot from a lot of guys, but you know, we always talk about here in Michigan is, you know, there's nothing like ha- that hasn't been un- uncovered here. So you got to do things a little bit different sometimes. And it may yep. even, it may not even be a straight hunting tactic, but something that portrays the hunting you have to do a little bit different. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to get into this episode. Uh, a couple things, housekeeping things that we need to, to get out of the way here real quick. Uh, the Fall Podcast website, um, go to fallpodcast.com, order some merch. We got hats, hoodies, shirts. Uh, just go there, fallpodcast.com. And uh, also, after you go and order a hat from the Fall Podcast, go over to YouTube and then type in Latitude Outdoors and check out the Grit series that is running right now. So Grit is is our digital series. Um, you know, last week we had, it was last week. Yes, it was last week. Had uh, first episode run last Friday. It runs on Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern on U- on YouTube. And uh, it was Alex's giant velvet uh, public land Nebraska deer. Um, so go check out that. We're going to be running those out here the next, you know, foreseeable future into the fall you know so we've got i think 10 episodes that we're doing so it's gonna be pretty neat uh go check that out uh we'll also have hunt breakdowns coming on youtube as well there's a lot of content on there go check out the in session stuff um but also you know with the latitude outdoors youtube channel we also have a code and it's the fall podcast at on latitudeoutdoors.com if you go there and order a new platform new saddles new sticks or anything like that ropes if you need new carabiners or kong duck anything like that go to latitudeoutdoors.com and use the code the fall podcast to save some money uh, next is helix broadheads use the code fall hx10 to get yourself some single bevel broadheads that uh, penetrate like a mofo and they're very accurate up to longer distances um, go check those out because the new FJ4s, the bleeders, they're my jam. They're really good broadheads. I, I've used them you know, last year, and then I used the FJ2s the year before and uh, haven't uh, 
haven't done anything wrong for me. So go check them out. You can get one single packs as well. If you if you're really not sure about it and just want to kind of like try one out in the yard, uh, you can order a single pack from the website. So go to helixbroadheads.com. And also with Helix, they have America's Best Bowstrings under the same roof. So if, if you guys are looking for a new string, uh, go to americasbestbowstrings.com and use the code THEFALL to save money on a new custom string. Uh, still going right now with Exodus Outdoor Gear and Latitude Outdoors is uh, they're doing a giveaway Exoduses. So go to Exodus Web's Exodus's website, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Enter the giveaway. It's a value of a $750. They are giving away, Latitude is giving away uh, a set of the new carbon composite sticks. And uh, Exodus is giving away a new rival cell cam with a dozen NIS arrows. So go check them out. Uh, the Exodus trail cams also come with a five-year no BS warranty. And next is Garmin. Um, if you guys are looking for a new site or if just want to try something out that is uh, definitely a game changer, go to Garmin.com and check out their A1, their A1i, or the A1i Pro bow sites. They build your confidence. And like David said last week, they are precision-based because they are precise. He's, he's screwing arrows up, and he's he didn't think that they he'd be packing arrows in as well as he is, right? <laughs> and I that that is the one thing that has impressed me the most, man. It's just it's just how tight you're, I'm shooting with it. It's I I like I said, I thought maybe a paper plate. I didn't think quarters. This where we're at there quarters right now. Yeah. There you go. And David's not very good of a shot either, so he needs everything mm, he can help. I'm kidding. Mm, I'm here, kidding. Here we go. A lot like here his hairline. <laughs> oh, can <kadoom, boom, laughs> Just kidding. I actually buzzed it off. He didn't even know it. Uh, well, you're wearing a hat. I can't see it. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so go to Garmin.com. Get a new site. Check them out. Um and uh, even call them up and or ask them on their chat as well and just kind of if you're asking any questions. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and wanting to know some things about them before they purchase. So if you guys have any questions, hit one of us up as well. So um, definitely do that. I've been shooting one since 2019, so I've been around them quite a bit. Uh, and then lastly, Buck Bourbon. If you guys are looking for a new ground blind, use the code TFP20 at buckbourbon.com. The Rackhouse 300 ground blind. It's an awesome blind. Use it turkey hunting this year with my family. And uh, it's nice. They got a one-way mesh windows that you can see out, but nothing can see in. And the saloon style door is uh, pretty pivotal. There's no zipper, so it won't be loud or anything like that. It's just a clip. And then it's got like kind of a spring loaded in a way where that door gets out of the way and it's a big opening. So go check them out at buckbourbon.com. And uh, also Prime. So if you guys are looking for a new bow, go to g5prime.com or go to your local Prime dealer and shoot the new bows. The Revex, we're shooting the Revex 2s. Um, and I got nothing bad to say about it. It's literally from soup to nuts. This bow is one of the one of the better bows I've ever shot. I've shot a lot of nice bows. It's, it's top tier. It's up there for me, for mm -hmm. sure. Yep, same here, man. Well, cool. That is uh, keeping the lights on. Uh, let's get over to this interview with Paul Ranf. And uh, thank you guys very much for all the support and all the downloads. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and also leave a written review. Let us know if you like the episode or the podcast, or if you don't. If you don't, just say, hey, I don't like it. And then, you know, just desubscribe. De yeah, just desubscribe. Just do that. <laughs> or subscribe <laughs> and tell a friend because word of mouth is the best way to get the word out there. So thank you guys very much. And here's this interview with Paul Ranf. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fall Podcast. And today we've got uh, an awesome guest on today, and Paul Ranft. Paul, thank you for coming on today. And uh, by the looks of behind you with all your animals, I am uh, very excited to talk about it. I, you know, I, I, I've did a little research on you before, and I watched you on a, a old DVD on Next Buck, and um, I was like, I really want to talk to Paul. So thank you for coming on today, Paul. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I sure appreciate it. Yeah, and um, you know, today what honestly when I was watching the Next Buck DVD that Jared Aridoti put out, I mean, a couple decades ago, this that was early 2000s, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been it's been a while. Yeah, and 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 really what caught my eye was, you know, Jared right off the bat when he was doing an interview with you talked about how you've killed over like 40 or 50 Pope and Young bucks in your lifetime and I'm like, "Oh my gosh." And then it showed a lot of your hunts on there and you were doing a lot of this in Michigan. And I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. I want to talk to Paul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been a long, long road to hoe. I mean, we, you know, I'm 60 years old, so I've been doing it since, you know, I was 14 years old, uh, you know, but not in the trophy status, just, just to get a deer. I mean, 40 years ago, just to shoot a buck was an accomplishment, you know, that, that is an accomplishment for sure. And and you, are you strictly an archery hunter? Strictly archery. Yep. Okay. Yep. Pretty much everything in here behind me is all archery. Um, I actually have another room with probably three times as much of stuff <laughs> in it. Believe it or not, all the bigger ones are in that room. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you got some pretty darn big ones behind you. So. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, how how long, Paul, have you been strictly archery hunting? Since I was about 14. There was oh, okay. a DVD that uh, I think you could see or hear or see that video that when Eric, Jared was interviewing me, I kind of gave all, you know, my homage to this older gentleman, took me under his wing. And, you know, dad bow hunted, but, you know, back 50 years ago, nobody knew anything about it. It was all long bows, recurves. But this other guy, which is a, my dad's best friend, he taught me everything about archery. And from, from then on, you know, I just fell in love with it. You know, not so much of harvesting animals with a bow, but it's it's more about the bliss being in the woods. And it's just you and the animals and everything else that's in it. That's archery hunting. Yeah, I I really like that. And I, I respect the hell out of that. You know, I, myself, I, I kind of turned to archery only about 12 years ago. And I've really never looked back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't regret any part of it either. And I, I can't foresee myself really changing also. Yeah, I yeah, I've worked for several companies and a bunch of TV shows. And yeah, it's all archery. And it's not because I because I it, it's just more in the love of your heart with what it's really all about more self self gratifying self satisfaction you know shooting with a gun is you know nothing wrong with that but it's pretty easy to do that um i would rather challenge myself a little more and keep challenging myself so. for sure yep couldn't agree more now paul like you you said you grew up in uh you know southwest michigan correct yep okay and you still live there today yep Okay. Now you cut your teeth down there, but did you do a lot of traveling out of state as well? Or was it more mainly just Michigan? No, a lot of traveling actually. You know, I started as a cameraman in the television world for Scentlock years and years ago when they, you know, had their first TV show. 
Uh, Lee and Tiffany actually were starters with us. Uh, believe it or not, we all at Scentlock voted on them to be on their on our show. But I started as a cameraman, and from there I filmed, traveled all over, uh, filmed all over the world, and then that kind of turned into my own television show and got getting to know other people. And, and then yes, a lot of traveling out west for deer. Once I kind of realized that the the bug hit you for uh, shooting bigger deer, um, you you know if you don't have big deer, then you got to go to big deer, and big deer are out west as uh, far as you know, I'm concerned as far as land, let's put it that way. Yep. More yeah. places to hunt. For yeah. sure. That, that was going to be when you were just talking about that, it's a question that popped up in my head was, you know, when you first started traveling like that, you know, in your early years, you know, how quickly did you notice a difference between, let's say you, your home state of Michigan and anytime you headed out to the Midwest or even further West? Oh, it's huge. It was, you know, one season. And once yeah. you get one season under your belt, knowing, you know, harvesting southwest lower Michigan deer that are 120-ish type deer, and then you go out west and you saw 10 of those. Mm -hmm. And my first year, I, I think I shot a 127 and was super proud of that. And then it just went higher and higher from there because now why do I want to shoot another one when I just shot one? Right. So you just kept moving the bar. And out west, mm -hmm. it it affords you to do that. You can do that out west. You can mm -hmm. do it here in Michigan too if you've got enough land, and if it's managed correctly. Yep. Now, you know, growing up in Michigan, and when you went out of state for that first time and got that bug, and like you said, you killed a one twenty seven, and and you probably you know went another year and killed another deer, another bigger deer. Were you when you come back to Michigan? Were you more of like Ah, just losing the luster for Michigan, or was it like more of a the deer aren't as big, but you're still killing the top ten percent of what you have? Was that still cool, or was it more like uh, I'm kind of like not better than it, but you know I'm I'm kind of getting out of that, you know yeah. that mindset. It's you know I hate to say it, but it was the latter of your of your part there. Um, it's just so hard to go backwards i still love to hunt um i don't have the places that i have anymore here in the southwest Lower michigan um, a lot of smaller pieces and parts so taking grandkids or kids or family and just doe hunting is more than i would is probably what we do most of all here as far as trophy bucks i mean i'm probably the best guy to have on your property because the chances of me shooting a deer on, or a buck on your property are slim and none Unless okay. you got a 60 inch deer. I mean, we still go. That's kind of like the trapping thing where we still trap and it's not for the money anymore. It's always been about, you know, it's a lifestyle. You know, trapping has just been in my blood forever. And same way with the bow hunting here. Now out west, totally different animal. You know, you put your best foot forward, you, you know, put the deer goggles on and you focus here. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't have a big deer, you're probably not going to shoot a big deer on, yep. you know, property. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I tell you, you just said something in there that I know we talked about that maybe wanting to hit on today. But, man, I tell you, a lot of guys that I, I you know, in my eyes that are, are really, really good hunters are also, they all come from like that trapping background. Yeah. And, you know, I was never grew up really trapping much, but 
when I watch guys and hear guys talk about trapping and then how it like correlates to their, you know, bow hunting, it's almost like the attention to details yeah. matters a lot in both of those categories. Is that, is that something that you'd say that, you know, your early on years of trapping to, you know, when, then when you start bow hunting, like those kind of carried right over for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. The attention to detail you just hit on that. That's very, very important. We look at minute things along the trap line. Whereas, you know, you could miss quite a few things as a bow hunter, just walking from A to B, you could miss some things, some signs, subtle signs and or wind, you know, getting into your stand, getting back from your stand. You know, those two things there are the most crucial things for a bow hunter. You know, I can put you in a stand all day long, but you got to get there and you got to go home. And if you're doing those two things wrong, you're chances of shooting a nicer mature buck go downhill quickly. So same way with trapping. If you're, you know, not seeing, reading the sign, you know, and all little animals are different, you know, mink are a little different than muskrats and, you know, raccoons are a little different than fox and same with their location. So you have a plethora of animals you got to learn, you know, with deer, we got to learn deer, but yet there's so much more to deer to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Every, there's no deer that are like, like humans they're just not the same you know they might have some tendencies that are the same but you're learning a lot of different demeanors and a lot of you know different animals and it can get daunting for sure i can definitely attest to that yeah 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 paul in in your early years of trapping and, and bow hunting was there one that you were finding success with you know quicker or easier than the other um, I guess rephrase that. <laughs> that okay. So like, you know, in your early years of, of trapping and yeah. then bow hunting, yeah. was there, was there one that you found success with, you know, quicker or maybe even easier, you know, that bow hunting, say whitetails or yeah. trapping? Well, trapping, I mean, probably by far, um, mm. cause there's so many, you know, animals out there, you know, you learn a lot by the school of hard knocks wasn't a lot of books and people out there to train you and teach you. Um, I was fortunate in Southwest lower Michigan. One of the biggest well-known trappers in the U S was my dad's best friend taught me how to trap Fox. And he was very, very well known. His name was Burl high. Who's passed about 10 years now. Very, very well-known trapper. Um, worked for the railroad all his life, but still ran a full-time trap line and worked. And uh, traffic, he was 87, I believe. So, yes, very more satisfying because you get to see results each morning. You check your traps. You know, sometimes you get lucky first day in the woods. You see a nice mature buck walks by, but that's pretty rare. So, yeah, trapping. Yeah, I, I tell you, it almost seems like nowadays, like the, the trapping has become like a dying breed. You don't hear a whole lot of guys talking about that the way they used to back in the days. Yeah, no, you don't anymore. A lot of it's spawned by just, you know, fur prices, which is, mm -hmm. it's great to have fur prices because it gives a, gives us a market, but with things going off overseas, you know, between Russia, uh, China, I mean, those are our biggest adversaries for buying fur. And if they don't buy fur, of course the U S doesn't buy much. So all of our fur is always shipped overseas. And right now the fur market's pretty low. But we yeah. still trap. I found a way this year to have, send off a lot of hides and have them tanned. 
and then sold them like that to individuals who wanted them. So we still tried to make a market for it. Yeah. I, a question for you with, you know, now, even though you're, you're still trapping, as there's days out there, say, if you guys are going into a new area trapping, that you're also like uncovering some like good whitetail ground also. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> so big. Yeah. I mean, you're scouting with so many hats on. I'm looking for mm -hmm. like nuisance beaver. Let's just take that for instance. I got a farmer that lets me, he would never let me deer hunt but uh, always wanted me to trap the nuisance beavers in the uh, irrigation ponds that he irrigates. And uh, same thing, I'm looking for old scrapes, old rubs, you know, you know, trails and looking at all the junctions and the, you know, travel points when I'm setting traps going, man, I would put a stand right there <laughs> if uh, I had permission to hunt here. <laughs> yeah. Did uh did you ever have, you know, when you talk about like the irrigation ponds and in, you know, places like that, those are always places that I, you know, it's you almost overlook always for say, you know, whitetail bedding and, and mature buck bedding until you kick one out of an area like that that you don't expect to see one in, yeah. you know, and I I bet you that's happened a lot with your trapping over oh, the years. Unreal. And and the thing of it is you need to keep that in mind when you're hunting like southwest lower michigan a high pressured area whitetail keep that in mind if you kicked him out of a wide open woods well that tells me something about the pressure in your my area if i kicked him out of cattails that you could barely see in and you can just hear an animal running you know what that was you know he probably bedded in that in cattails lived in them cattails only came out at dark and he's probably the most mature deer in that area now, mm -hmm. rack-wise, I don't know what he is, but he's probably the most mature. And, yes, you better keep those little things in the, your back pocket. If you're going to hunt whitetails, then you need to hunt around those places that you don't think there'd be a deer in them. Even though there's water in them, a lot of times we have found deer that would just stand in water, and that's his bedding. Mm -hmm. Like a horse stands in a field and sleeps that way. Deer don't always have to lay on the ground. Mm -hmm. They are high-pressured, like here, southwest lower Michigan, they will stand in that water all day long until it gets dark. And then they'll come out, feed and bed and do what they do. I mean, they don't want to be in that stuff, but we as bad hunters or scent hunters put them in there. Mm -hmm. they didn't, or they, we weren't, they're not smart enough to read a book. They're just taught to leave us because of all the scent in the woods is what that's from. Yeah. yeah, just this, their will to survive and they figure out where they have to go to survive. You yes. know? And yeah. it, it sounds like, you know, some of what, some of the, uh, the kind of ground that you may be hunting in Southern Michigan is very similar to mine where, you know, I, I've got stories of some of the bucks that I've killed that I could hear them coming through the water well before I could even see them, yeah. you know, or it's like, <laughs> but like, but when you hear that lone deer coming, where you expect them to come from in the water, boy, that's a good feeling right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is. That's well, that's you know archery hunting. That's why we love it so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Paul, when you go going back to kind of when you were starting, you know, when you were 14, 15, 16, starting into bow hunting and everything, and um, you know, when did you start to find success on like those upper age class or upper, you know, bigger antler deer? Was it pretty, pretty? like fast when you started or did it was there a was there a period of like you know that climbing the ladder shooting the basket racks and getting up to that that point oh yeah it uh, yeah it was tough ladder 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was times where, you know, if you just shot a three point, you know, the word got around, hey, man, Paul shot a three pointer with his bow. You know, that was big news. You know, yeah. and we didn't have the deer population back 50 years ago. We, I had places all over to hunt. So I had tons of property, but there was no deer. So, you know, just to shoot a buck, period, was all that you could do. So trophy hunting, you know, became a passion, you know, 20 years ago for me so much, not so much, you know, the early years is just all about getting out there, learning. I mean, there's, I was given a tree stand once and I didn't realize you're supposed to put it in the tree. I just put it along that just <laughs> steep height and sat on the ground. And still to this day, I had a giant buck walk in and I probably had buck fever. He walked in, faced me, and then walked straight away, and I never even picked up my bow. And it was an old bare white tail, the brown aluminum older bow. I never even thought to grab it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> now you okay. say you say you know trophy hunting happened you know probably within the last twenty years for you. Was there one particular buck or anything like that that really kind of engaged that thought process in your head of like, oh gosh, like he was a giant, I'm onto something here and I'm doing something right where it was starting to click for you. Was there one buck that really stands out that, that helped you through that? Um, gosh, I don't know. It was probably a slow process. Okay. And I did gun hunt, by the way, this, this, these aren't all, in fact, there's one, there's one in this corner. He's got two main beams. I believe that one, um, he probably was one of the main ones just for the fact that uh, it was gun season, you know, November 20th was something. Usually if you don't shoot your buck in Southwest lower Michigan within the first day or two, it's almost over. Yeah. Those bucks turn so nocturnal, but I developed hunting in water so well that these deer were pushed so thick into this water area that's all I heard was splashing. And you think there was ducks all over and it mm-hmm. was all cattails. And I literally walked or paddled up a creek. And here was a secret I haven't shared with many people, but I took a big two by 12 and put it in the culvert parked along the road. And I had permission to be there and you could paddle up the, the creeks, but the property owner owned the creek anyways. So I put that board there and it raised the creek level 12 inches. So all of the people that would look at me and go, there is no way you can get a canoe up there. You are walking, you're doing something that is not right. But they never asked, never thought. But I put this board and as the water, it put pressure on the board and held it in place and rose the whole creek 12 inches. By the time I donned on all my equipment, got the bow ready. Well, that this time it was gone and paddle up it. And then I went up probably about a mile up this little creek. And then walked because the water got so shallow into a tree stand only about eight feet tall. I was passing up bucks crazy for November 20th, something, whatever it was. And to, to see that many bucks and they were small. But at the time I was like, man, I, I'm not going to shoot a small one. And this this guy showed up and uh, and f- probably from that day forward, I realized that, you know, what, if you hunt hard, you could probably get one of those. And then each year, like I said, we kind of up the ladder and up the ante. And and it just got to the point where it, if you have deer, 
you can you got a good chance you know hunting high pressure deer that is you know that's kind of a different story like i said i i think there's two type of categories out eastern type or high pressure deer and non-high pressure deer so uh yeah definitely no that that answers that perfectly and that was really cool because i'm trying to figure out a correlation of like you know we're both or all three of us are from michigan i'm i'm from the you know central part of the lower peninsula so a little farther north than you david's kind of south as well and and um i'm just trying to figure out some correlations of what i see to what you see and and what you've kind of cut your teeth on now are you strictly or i shouldn't say strictly but are you when you're in those higher pressure states are you looking more towards water and like really thick heavy cover and if you don't have that then you're probably going to exit off would that be fair to say yeah that's real fair to say um, you could get topos. Well, Onyx Maps now is just unbelievably huge now. You could find all that stuff. You know, there's – and the reason the water is because there's so much of that is state land. Mm-hmm. Many, many states have that, and they designate it, you know, waterfowl, duck hunting, whatever it may be. But you could still big game hunt it. And those areas get pressured, especially out west where they have a lot of pheasant hunters, and a lot of those deer get pushed into those areas. Not so much from hunters, but from pheasant hunters, uh, duck hunters. So those areas are huge, key. There's a place in Nebraska that I hunt every year. State land, uh, same thing, canoe. And that's about all I'm going to say about that one because yeah. anybody <laughs> can find it. I found it. Anybody else can. And there's places all up and down the uh, – Missouri River is really my claim to fame is all up and down on the Iowa side and the Nebraska side. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those are the places. That's about as far west as I go as far as whitetail goes. I've gone farther mm-hmm. other places through the television show and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I I tell you, there. I had an old timer tell me this probably 12, 15 years ago. And we were strictly talking about hunting the biggest bucks we could find in Michigan. And he told me something I'll never forget. He says... He said, David, he says, where you find ducks, you'll find bucks in the same places. Yeah. And it, I had to think about that, you know, I was like, man, you know, like yeah. how many times, how many times have you, you know, been in swamps and you kick ducks out of there, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden, like you start paying attention to those spots and it's like, yeah, he was, he, there was a lot of truth to what he had to say. Yeah. And now over the last 12 years, I think about areas where it's like, you know, especially where I'm at in Michigan, we're like the water levels can fluctuate throughout the years and the drier years the some of the more mature bucks in my area they're not congregated as much as when i have the swamps are really wet you know what i mean where it's like those islands in those you know those strips of land out in those swamps become a lot better yeah. the worse conditions it is for the humans to get back in there That's exact, and, and that answers your question right there most guys mm-hmm. don't put waders on and or a canoe and go back in there. And most of the times you shouldn't. You should always hunt the peripheral edges. But, you know, most of the Michigan guys, you, you know, just have to penetrate that area. And, and you get one chance. You penetrate yep. that one. If you kill that deer, good for you. But if you don't, which more than likely you, you won't, then each day you're there, he's gone. Yeah. You know, just your yep. presence seems like is enough to deter him. Yeah, you you just made a really great point right there, Paul, and, and something I'd, I'd be inter- interested to ask you. You know, I'm sure in your early years, 
you know, when you were have or when you started finding real good success here in your home state of Michigan, but then you were traveling out of state. Was there times that you found yourself having to like hold back a little bit compared to how you hunted in Michigan? Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I think to hold back, I I guess not 100% what you sure what you mean like like say let let's say you're out in the midwest compared to michigan were you were you not being as as aggressive as you would be here in your home state of michigan no that that's that's very very true michigan hunters especially as an outfitter are very very good astute uh especially the top echelon hunters those guys know yeah i mean you could put them in a tree and they're they're gonna know hey i can't sit here the wind's marginal you know, then I move them. Uh, but yes, Michigan hunters have learned it through them from the school of hard rock knocks. And uh, yeah, out west, it's it's not that hard, I guess. You know, keeping the wind in your face, making sure you can arrive at your stand without spooking deer, making sure you can leave your stand without spooking deer. If you do those three things, I mean, you're probably going to have some pretty good success as long as you have good deer in your area. You know, Michigan you i mean canoes i almost wish i had a parachute at times to get into some spots <laughs> you or, and i both <laughs> or a zip line there's times i always thought thought and thought about a, putting up a zip line and just hand over hand into a spot and then same way go back that way they never <laughs> hear me see me or, but uh yeah that's that's michigan deer hunting yeah yeah, well, it, it, I'd tell you what, because I've heard you say this a couple of times already in this conversation, and, and you're not wrong. You know, is we could go out there and do all the scouting in the off season. We could do all that stuff, but the simple part of getting in and out of areas—if you can't take care of those, all that scouting in between the time you get there and the between the time you leave—doesn't mean oh, a damn thing, really. No, no, you'll ruin your spot so fast. You know, in today's young hunter that loves the cameras and videos and they have to put 18 cameras out on, you know, 40 acres, you're literally destroying your, your property. You know, if you could use cell cameras and put them out once in the summer, then don't go back to them. Good for you. But if you go back every week, every couple of weeks, you're just, you're just telling your deer where you're at and you're just sending them to somebody else, you know, your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yep. Paul, are you, uh, are you, have you established over the years, like a very, you try to find like a historical pattern, you know, are, are you, I guess, yeah. first of all, should I say, are you a trail cam guy? And if let's answer that first, do you use trail yeah. cams or anything like that? Yes, I do. Out West, we, 
I'm blessed with a piece of property that I lease. It's 4,000 acres, and there's 160 miles of little four-wheeler trails all over on it. That's the side business that this far rancher owns. Okay. So we use those little trails, and deer have they don't care about four wheelers. They their smell of four wheelers. They don't care. We're really, really blessed with that, just because they they hear it every day of their life. You know, if those deer moved a mile off the property, they would have bliss, but they don't know that. Mm-hmm. Deer are habitual of what in their environment, what they're given, and if you put all kinds of pressure on them, like our, I mean, they go nocturnal. Yeah, button bucks are not you know here out there it's a totally different story um so yeah we use cameras a lot i don't it's really hilly where i'm at so i don't have the luxury of having trail or uh, cellular cameras so you got to physically go pull cars change batteries that sort of thing but i put them close enough to a four-wheeler trail again trying to use my head those deer don't mind four-wheelers so i leave a four-wheeler running go change a card come back get on four-wheeler leave and within minutes, deer back at that um, camera. Yep. Yeah. In fact, I developed a, a rubbing post through the years. I wish I had one here to show you that I get 90% of all my pictures from a cedar post. And I put a scent on it, a proprietary, it's a scent <laughs> that uh, a guy gave me. And I tried to sell it, market it through the years, but it just didn't work. But it still works super, super great for getting all my pictures. And like out west and here in Michigan, it's a scented post. So in other words, I make the deer come to me right here. I put a post, put a camera, put a licking branch on it, and deer come to that. And once they do that, they're so habitual, they'll come to it every year, year after year. The same post, same place. I don't even – I got probably 40 cameras I put out on that property. And I've got probably 40 posts and my posts now are almost rubbed in two and several of them have been broken over. Mm-hmm. They've been there that long and they work that well. That's, I was, that's what I was going to actually ask you. Are those, so those posts that you're using, they're vertical yeah. posts then? Yep. Okay. I've had some guys from Ohio give me some grief about, oh, they should be horizontal. And I'm like, well, that, you know, I, I don't care. You do it. You do you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all the deer I see, they rub a tree up and down. You know, that's you know, proofs, proofs in the pudding, right? right. I mean, yeah, you get exactly. the pictures in to prove yeah, it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a question for you, Paul. And with those, with those posts, those rubbing posts now, um, you know, I've hunted all over the Midwest and it's like you said, it's two vastly different beasts. I mean, you get deer out there that you can, you can trip into a big deer out there if you're in the right area. You really can. Um, yep. In Michigan or a high pressured state, you really have to be you know, about your width. You really have to, every step you take is, is a crucial step. I really firmly believe that. And, you know, we've done rubbing posts out in the Midwest and, you know, you could put them just about anywhere and you're going to get a deer rub on them. Now, when you bring that thought back to Michigan, I've tried it and, you know, it might take a year or two to get deer to rub on it. But my question to you is, you know, very much with like a mock scrape, it's all about location. Location, yeah. location, location. So yeah. are you taking that same approach with a, with a rub in Michigan, like if you're putting a cedar post in there? Is it very location dependent? And, and where are you finding most of your success? Is it around a lot of cover or, you know, a field edge? Or where are you finding most of your success with them? Try and keep it at the same area 
Um, you do a lot of, I do a lot of scouting in the winter. If you're going to do whitetail hunting here, you know, cause then you don't care. Nobody's out there in the woods and you can still see that old sign. You want to be able to check them without penetrating way deep in your property. You really want to have them put, if you put a post, put it close to where you convenient for you. Mm-hmm. The wind is good for you to check it. The wind is good for you to visit it. If you put it way deep, then, um, and I mean, I'm talking, most people have like 20 acres, 40 acres. You put it on the backside of your 40, then you've got to walk through there every time. But I found most of it, I copied what they had. If there was a big scrape, a big primary scrape in the area, I would probably put it there, uh, especially if I can get to it and leave properly. Uh, but you hit something too, Southwest or, or Michigan deer kind of don't like those posts right off the get go. We've had very few success, but I told all the guys, listen, just keep rubbing the post man, manually rub that post with a, uh, I took a chainsaw before and I, I carved it to make it look first visually. And that's extremely important with uh, making a mock post that it's got to look like it's been rubbed by a bunch of deer too, not just put it out there and you just assume they're all going to rub it. They mm-hmm. don't. Right. Uh, that's why they rub like creosote telephone poles. You see that a lot around where we're at here in Michigan. And I think that has to do with a lot of the creosote that's in that. Because you look at a post that's 18 inches in diameter, 20 inches, and you go, why would a deer rub that? But they <laughs> no. do. And this post thing is the same thing. The scent is very similar to that. That's kind of where we came up with that as a creosote. But uh, location is is huge in here with high-pressure deer. Yeah. Um, Out west, like you said, I I put them, for my convenience, you know, 50 feet off a trail. When you drive our four-wheeler, you go, hey, look at there. There's a post all by itself. I do that for my convenience. Right. You know, not the deer still go to it regardless. Yep. You got to be careful, but they will come to it. Just be consistent. That's the biggest thing. You be the the big problem in the. In other words, always make a big scrape. Always rub that post. Always put a licking branch. Spray it with whatever favorite spray that you like. But keep doing it. Once you get those that core bunch of deer mad enough to visit that, they will never stop. Because now it's part of um, the dominance, the, especially that last week of October when sign is huge. Uh, I'm a huge sign hunter that last week of October. And I think that's more important than the rut. But uh, if you could get those, that bachelor group of deer, whatever they are, whether it's five of them or 50 of them, that once you get them to start hitting that, just be consistent with it. Always keep it there. Don't move it. Just keep doing the same thing. Fresh scrapes. Yeah, you got to walk there. Yeah, you got to do that. But once you get them, they won't stop. Because yeah. now they're mad at you. Who's ever doing that, I'm mad at you. And the next deer comes along. Well, I'm going to copy what he did. And the mm-hmm. next deer comes along. I'm going to copy what he did. Because it's my property. That's how a lot of these deer think. So. That's, that's, a, that's a great point. And I, I, it made me think about something else. And, you know, if you set up, it could be a mock scrape, it could be a rubbing post. And what I was kind of getting to earlier about historical 
windows. Like I like to hunt windows. I really try to figure out historical patterns, whether it might be in a mock scrape or a train feature or something like that. And I hit that historical pattern. I hit that window. It might be like a four day window, but that's where I'm going to be because it heats up that year every, you know, within the four or five days it heats up. Now, how do you establish those historical windows if you do hunt those or do you rely a lot on cameras through the, through the years yeah. or, um, because to me, I used to be a volume guy. Now I'm just a window guy. I just yeah. hunt windows and, and, and yeah. go in surgically. That's, that's huge. I do too. I used to, you know, from day one to day end, I hunted every day and now it's windows, you, you know, hunt the best window that you can, you know, two things. It is cameras, but boots underground, but also let's go back to the trapping thing where, I noticed all the little nuance things that when I, and, and you got to sneak through the woods. You, if you walk like a hunter walking through the woods, you know, everything knows that you're there squirrels to everything, you know, why is it a, you know, white tail can never move his ears when a Turkey is walking. You can hear see the Turkey and it's making all kinds of noise, but that those ears never move for, he might, moving here backwards but he knows what that noise is right you human walking through there they know what that is so you need to walk like that too scouting that is or even mm-hmm. when i get to stands i i killed a buck several years ago with a turkey call walking one of them hot evenings and i'd walk uh yelp scratch yelp scratch got to my stand i couldn't get the bow up fast enough and here come a really big eight-pointer coming. And I ended up shooting him in the butt, watched him fall right over in front of me. I was shocked. It was just one of those lucky things. But yep. a, being a trapper teaches you how to, you know, be in the woods and be accepted in the woods. Because we're you're not supposed to be there. You're a human. You don't live there. They do. Yeah. So it's I, I go back to I've said this for a long time is, you know, every time we step foot in the woods, I don't care if you pay the taxes on it, you're still at an away game. Like we don't live there. It is a home game for them every time you try to go hunt them. And I think that is one of the biggest things what you just said that people don't understand is every time you step foot in the woods, you have to act like you've been there and you know how to be there. Um, You know, and it's, I get it. Like you buy property for recreational use sometimes, or you buy property for your family to, you know, it's a lot. I, I cringe when it's like, I have a five-year-old daughter and I want to get her into the tent, you know, woods all the time. And it's like, we got to pick certain spots and everything that we can go in and just yell, you know, she's just going to be yeah. talking and everything. I don't like to talk <laughs> like when I'm yeah. out there. Yeah. So um, no, I whisper everything, <laughs> even in the summer, still, I find myself always whispering. Right. In the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I also see, you know, nowadays every everyone wants to go out and do all this scouting. You know, it's like the new cool thing where a lot of us have been doing it for years. But I even find myself sometimes, you know, especially just to say on a newer piece, I don't necessarily have to go in there right away and find the spot. Like I want to go learn how the land flows. So when I'm coming yeah. in and out of there, I, I can walk with the land also, you yeah. know, just getting familiar with everything about that piece of land. Cause man, it's, I, I tell you get like, we, here we are again, talking about getting in and out of a spot, you know, yeah. it's like you, you got to learn that stuff too. Can't just learn where they bed or where they feed or where the scrapes are. You got to learn all of that stuff. Yeah. And, and I think when you, when you're learning all of that, that is how a guy becomes even more deadly with mobile hunting because he knows how to move with it. He knows when to move with it. 
Yeah, that's that's so key. That's the school of hard knocks that guys need to learn. But like I said, today, you know, most of them don't. Te- television has taught us that it's just so easy to walk out and shoot a pretty decent deer, and that's just not the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, when you brought up that you were a cameraman for Scentlock and everything, it hit a different chord for me because that's what I do for a living. I've done that for 12 years now. I went to college for television, digital media productions, and I've been a field producer and editor for the last 12 years on the outdoor channel and sportsman channel and everything. So I've got to travel all over the world seeing the TV life. Like we had a lease, a 4,500 acre lease in Kansas that was just, it was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. A lot of fun to hunt it. But you when when I would come back to Michigan or go hunt a different area, you have to treat that differently because it's just not how things are. Like it is, it is in a lot of sense of fantasy land um, because you can control everything and and it's just you you have to know how to adapt. I think a hunter that can adapt to any situation is going to be the best off, and they're probably the top tier guys. Um, but yeah, I get it, you know. And I've hunted in Iowa, and Iowa's a different world. I love Iowa, <laughs> and uh, but you could sneeze in your tree on November second, you know, and and have a couple bucks underneath you, and they probably wouldn't care, you know, in a lot of yeah, sense. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, I am so glad I've come from Michigan, learning how to hunt in Michigan, going everywhere else, because I really think being growing up in a in a pressured state, it's yeah. really helped me be on the more I wouldn't say passive side but really cross my T's and dot all my I's going into any situation yeah especially out west I mean you guys Michigan hunters are I mean hats off kudos they just they're way more scent conscious they're way more you know just in tune with what's going on especially out west it makes it you know so much more enjoyable when you're out west and just deer walk by and you're and and the wind could be marginal where it's almost blowing to them and and you're still like well, these deer should never do that right but they do because they don't know you who you are they're, they're probably more curious than anything so they accept that you're there and they accept that you're no threat to them because they you you haven't threatened threatened them yeah definitely would you say that you're more of a a morning hunter or a, like an evening hunter I, probably mornings, I guess. Um, and I, I think there's, there's a definitely a way to hunt them in morning. Not a way, but there's a reason more in, in the mornings and then same way evenings. I mean, evenings are, I mean, rut, throw that completely out. Right. But uh, sign and then pre-rut, I mean, they're coming back from food. You know, they're staging here. And I don't really believe in big a lot of staging to me when I read articles and see people talk about staging, they, you know, they were in a field all night, they come to a certain area and they stay there for several hours and then go to bedding. And I've never seen deer stay at one spot for two hours or, yeah. an hour, or even 15 minutes, unless they're feeding to go to bedding. I mean, they kind of browse all the way back to bedding and then browse all the way back out to their main food source, which could be cut corn, cut beans, alfalfa, whatever. Uh, they nonstop feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think cover has a lot to do with they may stop and stage in an area, you know, maybe because it's thick. But that's the only time I would ever believe in the staging type thing. That's all we read about when we were young. Find the staging areas and you'll be successful. 
I'm like, well, what's a staging area? Where, what's football? <laughs> you know, I never could find I still haven't found it. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I, I, I really don't see I see a lot of deer mingling in between bed yeah. and food, you know, if that, and that could be the staging area, I guess. But to me, I just, like you said, I don't see a deer just hanging out in a, you know, 30 by 30 area for a couple hours or just like, yeah. Oh, looking at his hoof. Like it's not time to go out there yet. Cause yeah. I know there's yeah. danger out there. <laughs> yeah. They're just going to do whatever the hell they want to do. That's right. You know? Yep. Yeah, the, the only, the, the closest thing that I could think of it, I don't even call it a staging area is you know say you're say you're hunting a you know a high-end deer and most of my examples are for here in michigan is when he gets up out of his bed for, in the evening and he could be coming back in the bed in the morning yeah. but he has a he has a spot right on the edge of his safety zone and he's not necessarily staging there what i see is he's taking he's taking a couple minutes and stopping and taking all of his senses in to make sure when he leaves, because he like he knows that's the edge of that safety zone. When he steps out of that, it's it, he is on a mission to go where he needs to next, mm -hmm. you know. But it's it's just a couple minutes. You watch his ears are going back and forth. You know, his he's lifting his nose up in the air. He's just taking everything in, and it's yeah. just, it's just like a little buffer, a little yeah. buffer on the edge of his safety zone. Because if it if it doesn't check out, he's going to turn around and. He's not going to run away. He's going to just walk right back in there. You'll never even know he was there on yeah. the edge right there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Paul, do yeah. you hunt, uh, you know, the, the big, um, you know, the big no, no, I guess out there in the world is to not hunt mornings in early October. That is, you know, and it's like, I don't know whoever came up with that rule, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I get that there's some situations that, yeah, you might not want to, but like, there's a lot of situations where you can go in and kill a good deer in the morning in early October or, or whatever day it is, yeah. you know, um, are you, do you hunt early October mornings? I guess is my question. Uh, I mean, yes and no. I think the first week of October, you could definitely but you'd have to have had boots on the ground or have cameras have some sort of intel telling you that you need to be there in the morning in other words you watched him from a vehicle far away and maybe he's walked past your stand um in the morning that's when i would do it um but everyone's got to keep in mind deer are naturally nocturnal even in michigan yeah we've talked a lot about how they're high pressured but even out west our deer in a non-pressured area like Iowa, they are still nocturnal. It's the nature of the beast. So the first week of October, good. They're still, they have a lot of feeding patterns. They're still in some sort of a roaming type pattern. And we just go through this lull and I've never for 50 years, I've never been able to figure out why, but those two weeks in October, it's just, don't even go. I mean, it, you're kind of not wasting your time, but it's almost like you just keep telling your deer where you're at. Those so those two week mid two weeks of October seem to be pretty poor, and then the sign kicks in, which is that last week of October. Then is when mornings are extremely crucial, in my opinion. Now sure. he's coming back from big fields, and he's staging like the two like Dave said, two on the edge of a field, and he's really looking for other deer and smelling and sensing where are there's others deer because right now i don't like no other bucks i will chase you out right now in a minute little does little you know button box not a big deal but a, an antler deer 
he doesn't like you, and, and, and it's getting worse as the day. And this way, it's a four or five day pattern, the sign thing, and it gets bad for them. But good for us, bad mm-hmm. for them. They don't like uh, each other. They'll accept each other during rotten the rest of the world, the rest of the time. But this sign period, that's when you really need to dominate on him because now he's staging on the edge of the woods, like Dave said, and now he's going to take a trail and he's going to start finding scrapes rubs all along all the way and he may not even go to Betty. he may go past where he beds normally just to put more sign down and then of course he'll bed through the day and then the evening same thing or yeah he comes back and he may walk parallel to that trail he took in in the morning but he's always in that same wherever those that big group of scrapes are and rubs are one thing, but the scrapes are something totally different, especially if they're all in a line and they're all leading. And they do all have a directional paw to them. Most mm-hmm. of the time, a deer will stand at the pointed part of his paw mark, and that's the direction he's generally going. Mm-hmm. The same way in the evenings when he's coming back, he'll do those. And he may come back the same ones twice, but I've seen them where they don't come back ever. Right. But for the most part, he will come back to that area and mornings are pretty pretty crucial for that sign and then like i said there's a four or five day period in there where you could just put a couple drops of dough or buck urine and he comes unglued does not like mm-hmm. it or and i don't not a big scent fan um to me it's visual meaning i'll make hit you your scrape let's say you put one down i'll make yours bigger i'll make one next year bigger and you use my boot mainly because if my boot's been walking, it's already smells like it's supposed to be there. Scrape it big. And then if it's a real big one, I'll put a camera on it. Sometimes you only need a camera there four or five days just to tell you what you need to see. Yeah. If I don't see what I want to see, then, you know, I can move or, or do that. Too. And I make scrapes 100, 200 a year, over years. Yep. I'll make my scrape bigger than your scrape. Yep. It's the male ego thing, and it works great for deer. Yeah. Deer do not, like I said, there's a four or five day window. He don't like no other buck. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I like yeah. that. I like that hot take right there. If you find a scrape, make one bigger right next to it and say, <laughs> nope, this because he, the next time he comes through there, you're right. He's going to look at it and be like, who the hell is in here yeah, in, in my haunt? You know, and it's, it, you're right. It's all visual. I like that take. Yeah. 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 And I, I tell you what, Paul, and I, I know it's, 
it'll probably be plus or minus on each side of it. But for the listeners, when you're talking about this four to five day window, could you give them like kind of a, a date range of this four to five day window? Because, you know, yeah, for everyone listening, Paul's got a lot of experience doing this. So I'm sure what he's seen, it's it's kind of proven. It's about uh, three to four days before Halloween and just past Halloween. And that's when the, they start getting less interested in other bucks and more interested in does because uh, depending on where you are in the world, you know, that first doe ruins it all. That when she comes in the heat, it ruins all of your scrape hunting because now they don't care anymore about that. And rattling is still pretty important that time of year, but it's changes. Now I don't care to fight no more. I, I don't want to make sign. I want another doe. Yeah. And now he's going to spend most of his time searching for that next one, you know, until rut and when, and I don't think even 80% of the does all come in. They, they do not. They trickle in. They come in slowly, you know, maybe 10% today, maybe another 20 tomorrow. And it's this slow, gradual peak. And it's not even a peak. It's a slow curve down too. And I don't know why they do that, but they do. So in other words, we have these long drawn out ruts, which are bad for us. Mm-hmm. Now you better be in your tree stand from dark to dark. If you're yep. one yeah. successful and that's where you better be. And the bad thing with that is you don't get to check your cameras. You don't get to go scout. You don't, you live in your stand. And then yep. hopefully you've got some cell cameras out that can help you with your Intel. If you need to move to a different stand or you've hunted it long enough, like you have, and would you know, well, I know notoriously this window here is starting to close. I better go closer to the swamp because it's all full of water. It's more close to the bedding. Those does seem to hit, hide in there a little more. I think I'll hunt that stand. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say, man, from experience, that's a bad spot to be in when you have to be in dark to dark. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, you know, there's you're not seeing a lot of deer. They might be in a lockdown phase or something like that. But some sometimes that can be a bad spot to be in and where you're like, I'm just hoping he comes by. You know, if I sit here and ride the hole long enough, something will come by. You know, that's yeah. just I hate that feeling because it's like, man. Like you said, Paul, you you can't go check your scrapes. You can't go check your cameras. You can't go scout, really, because if you're not in the tree, it's more than likely not going to happen. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I tell you, you know, we talk about that, that four- to five-day window, really, when a lot of that sign, the majority of the sign for the season is being laid down, that anyone that's hunted long enough, man, you, you know, like, you walk out of the woods in the evening, and you come back in the morning, and your headlights hitting those scrapes, and you're like, that wasn't there last night, yeah. that one wasn't there last night, and right. it's like, you just know, like, there, there's there been a lot going on overnight yeah. that it just makes that morning just even more amplified. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's visual, you know. You see it mm-hmm. with my own eyes. That was not there before. And that's a buck did that. Not a doe, not a button buck. A buck did that. And that's yeah. what we're after. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you do do you do quite a bit of uh, in season scouting, Paul? In season scouting's huge. Each day as you walk through the woods, you know, especially with me, I'm always dropping off hunters, walking them in, walking them out. You know, it's still all scouting. I mean, again, going back to the trapping days where they're seeing the little nuances and changes, you know, maybe that rub wasn't, it was, wasn't that big before. And now I walk by it, it is big. But what does that tell you though? 
is he just came along and rubbed it? Well, no, I can see eight rubs all down that ridge line. Well, why is it on that ridge? But it should tell you something is what that should do. And it should help you in your future if you go to Virginia and you want to hunt really hilly terrain areas. You know, it should tell you that uh, don't hunt down low, hunt up high, because that's where they seem to always move. They like that for a couple of reasons. They can see what they can't smell and smell what they can't see. Yeah. And he puts his sign along there, too, because that's my ridge. It's not your ridge. It's not four-pointer. It's not eight-pointer. It's big ten-pointer. That's mine. Yeah. You mm-hmm. all stay out. But they don't do that. Yeah. And I, and I tell you, you know, no matter how many years I've been hunting, the one thing that is for sure is every time, every day during the season, as every day passes, that woods is changing every yeah. day. If leaf cover, how much is falling, the color, like everything changes out there every day. And it's like, man, if if you're not out there, sometimes it feels like all of a sudden like something comes up and you can't be out there for three or four days. And the next time you're out there, it's like you feel like you're so far behind. It's only been, you know, 48, 72 hours, but they're constantly changing out there. Uh, that, that's so true. Yeah. And, and keep all that in mind, too, as you, you know, as you go forward, you know, it'll help you choose better tree stand locations. You know, and again, getting back, I hate to be redundant, but you got to get in, you got to get out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that's I mean, true. you can't hunt. I mean, in every case, I mean, deer always smell you no matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're going to have to walk. You're going to have to leave. You just, I guess, maybe try and be smart about it. Maybe. I always leave way before time. I used to leave like an hour after, you know, once it got dark, lower your bow and just sit there and wait. And then you hope all your deer passed you and you're not going to spook anymore. Well, now I leave when I don't even need a flashlight. When I leave the woods, it's semi light. Yeah. It's the legal time has just stopped and I leave right then and there, unless I do have deer around me because I don't want to spook them. Then I will wait them out. But for the most part, if you're going to be somewhat of a trophy hunter, I, I mean, I can't identify what that is. I can't. I, does he got poop both sides? Is he an eight or is he a ten? And I don't know. I can't see that well because it's just you can see a deer. I could probably shoot that deer, but I'm not gonna because I don't know what he what he is. Right. So yeah. leave, but that's me. And what that does is that I can walk out a lot quieter. I can sound like a turkey leaving i could make my turkey sounds when my turkey call and leave and nothing around me is any wiser and but i got out and yes even when i get on the four-wheeler leave it's still not dark enough to use the lights but i know i'm not going to shoot something because it's too late but i got it i snuck out in other words in other words i'm not putting myself there for another hour waiting yeah so it's safe to leave but that's also a good policy too if you're not sure just sit Sit in your stand and wait. Hopefully, all your deer leave. But it seems like they never leave. You, you just want to <laughs> leave, and you hear one come. You, God dang it! Here comes another one. It's because you're hunting those staging areas, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah he's coming in staging. <laughs> Paul, are you a uh, are you a moon guy? Do you do you pay attention to the moon? Yeah, I knew Jeff. I don't know if you know. Uh, Jeff was from Wisconsin who developed that, mm-hmm. uh, had cancer. I knew him very well. I helped him a little bit on that. Uh, in fact, I, he sent me a rack. I've been a taxidermist for 35 years. He sent me a rack that uh, I repaired. It was a pretty big rack, and I 
bunch of points were broken and I fixed them, sent them back to him. But went to the ATA show a lot with him and he was pretty popular and he and I would watch, and I was trying to sell my TV show at the time. And, and you went to Botech and you went to everybody and you tried to say, Hey man, run a $70,000 ad on my show. Yeah. First they all said no, but Jeff was pretty uh, instrumental in helping me. And he, and the moon guide was big then. And, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, once I got to know him and, and to understand what that meant, the, the moon is pretty important. Uh, okay. And when it's underfoot and they're overhead, uh, yeah. the dark of the moon or the red moon, uh, the moon dial that he sells, well, he's passed now, but I think his wife and a friend is, is running that company now. Um, it, it's just another tool that you should have. There are tools out there that I would say, no, never, don't, don't buy that. Plastic rattle bags. I, I don't know. Hopefully nobody, don't, don't get mad at me. <laughs> I'm not a plastic, plastic rattle bag, bag guy. <laughs> um, but, I mean, no, don't use that. Try If you got real antlers, use real antlers if you can. Yep. Uh, and But the moon dial is a, important. It just helps you, and it gives you a little more determination to sit longer. You know, especially if it's a morning and it's 10 in the morning and you're like, I ain't seen one deer. And it's a bluebird day and it's just nothing's moving. And you're like, I, I'm going to get some eggs and bacon, man. I'm going to. But the moon dial says, no, noon. All right, I'm going to try that. Mm -hmm. Just one. That's a good tool to have is what I'm trying to get to, to help you sit a little longer. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And that's. <laughs> something that i've i've bought the moon guide probably for the last 10 years the little dial i like having it with mm -hmm. me i don't really say too much about it because it's it's like taboo if you talk to the right or the wrong person that doesn't like the moon they look at you like you're got you know six arms it's like yeah. <laughs> so but there's times that you know that i have dialed that moon guide in and you know the underfoot and you know, overhead moon times where I've had a lot of activity at that time, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and it could be midday. Like you said, it, it, there's, there's been some times where I've had some good activity when it, when that dial told me I was going to have yeah. good activity. It's not a fail safe. It's not a hundred percent. It's going to happen because that moon guide doesn't, you know, doesn't bring into pressure from predators yeah. or, you know, other hunters or anything like that. So you can't buy it and just say, oh yeah, this is what it right. told me. This is what I'm going to go off of. But like you said, Paul, it's another tool the to tool. be able to like, you know, take something else into consideration. Yeah. yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Just, you still want to go get the bacon and eggs at 10 AM, you know, go for it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's always another day. Yeah. It's the one thing about deer hunting. There's always another day. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Aaron nailed it with the, that pressure comment. I love that you said that because you you nailed it with, you know, everything weather-wise and moon-wise could be lining up for someone, but pressure can dictate all yeah. that stuff. It can it can wash all the way, you know, and yeah. I have, I actually, I've also, I've got a stack of those moon dials from, you know, about 15 years ago till today, yeah. and and I tell you, there's two things I want to, I, I want to hit on it. One you know, back in like 2008 to 10, like kind of when I was first ever like messing around with one, I was really watching that moon dial like in the summertime, you know, because we all know like there's days in the summer where it's like, man, they just seem to be out so early today. And I was correlating a lot of those moon times with summer movement because th there was no like 
you know, unnecessary deer hunting pressure going on at that time. It should be just somewhat unpressured movement. But I tell you now, like you, you would think that a lot of people would be really paying attention to that even more now that everyone has you know cellular trail cameras and you you can have that instant data where it's like you people are getting that information sent right to their phone you can be looking at what the weather the wind and the moon are doing at that exact moment yeah yeah so true yeah yeah for sure I, I don't want to take I won't take up any more of your time just because we're midday here and I know you probably got some other things to do you you're, you're a busy man so um, <laughs> I appreciate you coming out and doing this uh, if you could <laughs> tell everybody where they could find like your TV show and everything you're doing and where they you know might want you know could look to see what you're doing or look up on you where could they find that uh, to go see all that stuff I'm kind of getting out of all of it retired retired from taxidermy. Um, I do have still have the website, which is theoutfittersonline.com, theoutfittersonline.com. Okay. Also, my I'm a charter boat captain on Lake Erie, so we fish every day. In fact, as soon as we're done, I'm headed to Lake Erie. <laughs> I have, uh, we take a lot of – I'm a disabled vet, so I take a lot of – tomorrow's group is a bunch of DAV disabled veterans – all summer long, we take quite a few of them, but I also, you know, run a business there. and We have some phenomenal walleye fishing in Lake Erie. Uh, it's probably the walleye capital of the world now. Years ago, it was just good. Now it's unbelievably good. Um, I still hunt out west in Iowa, which you see all that on the Outfitters Online. But we're I'm booked three years in advance, and I only take archery hunters, and we only, depending on your draw, most hunters can only draw every two years in Iowa, you know, hence that's why I hunt Nebraska. In fact, I sent Jared and his buddy Lee to a place that I've hunted for years. We filmed a bunch of shows in Nebraska and, um, I, he goes, uh, all I saw was a bunch of 140 inch deer. Holy crap. I don't know if I'm going to go back. I'm going, Jared. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I probably won't share that spot. I mean, Jared might, I guess. If you guys, you can always ask Jared if you want to. It's a super, super good spot, and it's a, it's a, it's not, it's an Indian reservation, is what it is, and um, it, that's where we'll go to hunt when, when I don't draw tags. But you know, as a disabled vet, actually, I get the same uh, consideration as a, uh, oh, a resident. Okay. So when you when you're 100 percent disabled, you actually get whatever residents get in any state. It doesn't matter Iowa, Michigan, wherever. So which is a good thing for that. But, uh, so no, I don't have a lot of places. Just the outfitting page, and and that's it. Like I said, I'm gonna I'm out of taxidermy, trying to actually sell that business if I could. But I don't know. Any, it, nobody wants to be a taxidermist anymore for whatever really? reason. Yeah. yeah. In the television industry, I've got all the equipment you like you're talking. I've got hundreds of that, a bunch of that stuff I need to sell. I've got monitors, TV equipment, all kinds of stuff I need to get rid of. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm sure. Well, Paul, Good. a couple things. Thank you for your service, first and foremost. And uh, also, thank you for coming on here to do this. And I'd like to do this again if we can get some time and, and uh, pick your brain about some more topics, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, anytime. It was yeah, it was a pleasure.
All right, you know? Paul. Thank yeah. you very much. Take care, guy. Thanks, Paul. Be good. Thank you. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.